considering that uh, potentially disruptive technology is or can be the enabler for uh, disruptive innovation, which is often the case. I mean, you have technological development. Um, if you take digital photography, the, the resolution of the sensor was a key enabler for finally enabling the disruptive innovation now of digital photography. Welcome to Innovation Talks. Join us weekly as we discuss with distinguished industry guests how to refine and improve corporate innovation and new product development as businesses aim for long-term success. Hosted by Paul Heller, Sofian CTO. If you are looking for additional information around new product development or corporate innovation, sign up for Sofian's newsletter where we share news and industry best practices monthly. The fastest way to do this is to go to sofian.com that's S-O-P-H-E-O-N.com and click the sign up and stay informed box. Welcome, everybody. Glad you could join us again. We are joined today by a very interesting guest. His name is Sven Schimpf. You may have known him, but he's a professor of innovation at Pforzheim University. And he's also involved with the Fraunhofer Group for Innovation Research. And he's a 50% in each right now. Fraunhofer published a really good document about three years ago that was entitled Understanding Change, Shaping the Future. And uh, Sven is also, about four years ago, was very active in a study on road mapping. And uh, two years ago, began studying and focusing on disruptive technologies. Sven, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. You're, uh, you're joining us from where today? I'm joining you from Stuttgart in Germany. And uh, how's, uh, how's things in Stuttgart these days? Weather, COVID? <laughs> yeah, we, we have this strange situation now since a little bit more than one year and uh, still influenced by that. So um, what is happening here? I'm working from at home as uh, many people do at, at these times. I have my children at home and um, I'm missing a little bit the conversations in our coffee kitchen at work. So I'm really looking forward to the situation changing a little bit into the direction that we know since, since a long time. Yeah, I, I feel very much the same. I miss the, the colleagues in the office. I miss the spontaneous things that you discover, as you said, around the coffee machine or or in the cafeteria. Uh, so I'm looking forward as well to getting back, hopefully soon. Well, Sven, how did you first get involved in innovation? Yeah, this was finally by the end of my studies. I studied business administration, uh, socioeconomics uh, in Germany and in France. And one of my last courses there was um, on organization and management. And uh, one guy came up with, let's say, the topic of innovation management. This was in um, 1999. And I was fascinated by the topic. So I was looking out for possibilities to start my working career somewhere in this field, ending up at Fraunhofer, Fraunhofer Institute for Industrial Engineering, uh, which is uh, quite still strong in technology and innovation management and at that time was one of the uh, unique organizations really leading with a with a large team in this topic area so i ended up there and since then i'm i'm quite i'm still enthusiastic about the topic so looking out for new possibilities how to support companies 
in better, let's say, um, developing ideas uh, into successful solutions, products, services, and so on. What are you working on now? I have some projects that are, let's say, uh, going into a general direction, like we at the Group for Innovation Research, we have the topic of the future of innovation. So we are doing foresight on innovation itself. How will innovation happen and look like in the future? Uh, my personal key topics, however, are um, how to deal with potentially disruptive technologies and innovations. And as, let's say, side projects at the moment, I'm, I'm working on uh, several papers, for example, one on how to, how to use science fiction in innovation management all along the process to extend a little bit the traditional scopes of foresight and innovation. And also, since we had two years ago the, um, the anniversary of um, the Bauhaus movement, I'm working at the moment together with a, an art historian and a designer and uh, someone from SAP on the topic of how to transfer Bauhaus methodologies into um, the process of design thinking. Wow. You know, if, uh, if listeners aren't familiar with Bauhaus, I highly recommend you, you check it out. It's very interesting. And I can't, well, you just described those two areas, Sven, Bauhaus and then science fiction. Wow, that sounds really exciting. I'd look forward to hearing more about that. Yeah, very general. I'm I'm always looking out for topic areas, thematic areas where um, I can inspire or let's say provide companies with inspiration on looking on the left and the right side. And I'm I'm a big fan of um, the topic or the the terminology of serendipity. So getting to know things that you wouldn't normally get to know and then uh, combining them on purpose or not. <laughs> yeah. I wrote a paper, just a small blog post uh, earlier this year on innovation serendipity. And it, it must be really uh, impacted now in different ways because of work from home and closure of offices and uh, no more, no more conferences. I imagine a, a lot of serendipity just happened, just routine. Two people meeting each other who aren't meeting now because they're not, they're not going to the conference. Yes, I, I also think so because, um, I mean, we just discussed today uh, the topic of how creative spaces, creativity rooms will develop in the future just in the context of digitalization of uh, cooperation and communication. And uh, my personal perspective here, I'm, I'm, I'm with you. I think that uh, the personal contact, trust building and uh, the exchange also in an informal and non-guided way is key for many innovations, just uh, at least for the innovations at the borderline of uh, disciplines and uh, sectors. So. I think that still, even if we, we will have an increased uh, amount of digitalization for communication, also in innovation, there, there will still be the place for creative spaces, creative creativity rooms, or something like meeting places, coffee kitchens, or cafeterias. Yeah, it'll be, it'll be fun to see how that evolves into something. Well, I mentioned in the introduction this uh, the, the the paper from 2018 that Fraunhofer published. I understand you might be uh, involved in an update on that. Can you tell us a little bit about that published paper and what its status is? 
Yeah, the initial idea was that uh, since since we can speak about industrial innovation, so beginning of the 19th century, where the first R&D departments uh, were developed, um, innovation changed until now. We have different trends that influenced innovation, innovation management and innovation activities. Then let's say we we thought that um, we would like to support companies, policymakers and also academics uh, to better prepare for the future of innovation. And the, this is where it comes back to a, to a standard or a traditional foresight exercise. So we did a systems analysis. We, we identified the key influence factors on innovation itself. And uh, then we started to, to um, take the key trends, key developments, or the most probable developments from our perspective. So this is... Um, not covering every potential developing development, but focused very much on developments that we uh, think that will happen in the future. Uh, we developed five theses here in 2018 um, on how we think that innovation will look in the next 10 years, so um, in the year 2030. And what we are doing at the moment, because we, we had this event last year, COVID-19, which changed the world in many directions, um, we thought that it would be useful to create an update and recheck our assumptions, recheck our hypothesis that lie behind the thesis and uh, develop that further into an update that we, we, are, we have just finalized it in German. So it will be available for download in German within the next days and within the next weeks, also in English. Yeah. You know, a 10-year outlook was um, what you mentioned. Do you think that COVID-19, the change is that it, it brings will be somewhat short term and in 10 years from now it, it will look back and say it didn't didn't change innovation or or from the original principles that you were looking at or do you think that there'll be some maybe longer lasting effects on innovation that either good or bad that came from uh, from the COVID-19 pandemic? Yeah, our our impression here is that there are um, many changes that will last for a quite a long time. It doesn't necessarily change the thesis that we originally came up with, but um, rather also topics within these theses. Just to take an example, we we said that innovation in the year twenty thirty will will be much more driven by openness, the ability to learn, and by cooperation. Because we think that, uh, same as in the past, in, uh, you, have, you have geniuses like Leonardo da Vinci, who was able to cover all disciplines um, himself. So this is today not possible anymore. Yeah. You have to work in innovation teams. And uh, we see trends coming up here, like uh, the maker movement, object-oriented solution development, uh, and also, let's say, um, equipment that is available for, for everybody. So everybody is um, able to create prototypes nowadays based on something like a Raspberry Pi and a 3D printer, laser cutter, and so on. So this will change further. And now we had COVID-19. And COVID-19 digitalized the collaboration communication aspects here of innovation. So making it harder to create this personal contact, like creating serendipity, coming up with, let's say, informal communications, informal, let's say, innovative innovation activities here. 
On the other hand, it's today it's much easier um, through this digitalization to get people, experts involved from the other end of the world. I mean, we have here now a podcast. Uh, we see each other on video, which you as a listener don't in this moment. But uh, this is this would not have been possible before, let's say, this development and nowadays we have it as a standard and many companies are already saying that they will at least digitize um, a majority of their innovation workshops or um, we we also think that hybrid um, solutions will be here uh, a standard in the future. So overall the first thesis wasn't changed but you have changes in there in two directions like making it more more easy to get people involved from the global level and on the other hand, let's say, making it, making it more difficult to get the personal, personal contact. This was our logic here, here behind first the thesis and then also the update of the, of the foresight activity. Yeah, fantastic. You mentioned Raspberry Pis and 3D printing and, you know, those are for many people, uh, I'm sure you, I know some of your hobbies are there uh, from, uh, but mine are as well. So, so it's personal, right? So, so, so now all of a sudden, these things that we like from a personal standpoint that we may use in our personal lives are, are intermixing with our business innovation in, in, in ways that didn't exist 10 years ago. Uh, I don't, yes, okay, yeah, personal computers have been around for a long time, but the, the finesse of a Raspberry Pi and, and printing your own robotic components and making them operate. And it's very personal. And, and how do you see that affecting the, the personal side of, of uh, the interest around these little technologies uh, affecting maybe corporate innovation? Yeah, I mean, the, uh, the differentiation becomes more and more difficult here because, I mean, as soon as technologies start to have an impact on a personal level, they should also be an integral part of, um, of business. It is important to interlink both. I mean, one of the nicest example here was um, uh, the company Kerche. So they, they produce cleaning equipment and I had a chat on 3D printers with the head of the R&D department. And finally, he, he came up with the idea of setting up a 3D printer in the R&D department. They already had 3D printers and access to it. But this one here, it was explicitly meant for personal use. So if you speak about new technologies that are uh, of increasing importance on a personal level, so in the personal life of employees, of people working for a company, you should also create the link and enable them, um, push them forward uh, so that learn they learn about this, this new technology and also about its, um, its advantages and inconveniences in that way, so that they can transfer this knowledge finally on their challenges uh, that they have at work. Yeah, I, I think there's a great opportunity there. I remember, what was it, in the early 2000s, the big thing in Silicon Valley was game rooms. You could have pinball machines and pool, pool room, you know, pool tables and exciting things to bring people together. Now, now it could be a little maker space right inside, uh, right inside your company, couldn't it? 
I, I think so. I think this is this is beneficial. And the next step would be opening up this makerspace um, for the collaboration with students, with um, people who have retired, but who are still enthusiastic about the user perspective or about the company and so on. So create, let's say, a kind of um, melting pot enabled by um, this advanced production or prototyping equipment. Yeah, yeah. And things that maybe the average home user ca can't get, maybe more advanced, uh, whatever it happens to be, a little chip design software application or or uh, electronics application or what have you. Better better 3D printer, plasma cutter. I mean, it's, you can imagine how fun that would be as a place to work for some people and uh, would also encourage innovation. So I think there's some really neat ideas. You you mentioned you mentioned uh, disruptive innovation as an area of focus for you. What are you seeing from a disruptive innovation? How are companies uh, dealing with it? Are they focused on it? Is it something they think about, or is it something that just is difficult for companies to to get their arms and their minds around? Yeah, first of all, the the terminology of disruption gained uh, importance in public debates and therefore its usage today is very widespread and often confused with radical innovations and so on. So um, I personally, I, I normally take the initial uh, dis, uh, definition from Christensen, who, who really was keen on identifying why uh, the, the big companies fail, so mar why market leaders fail, and therefore defining disruptive innovation as an innovation that leads to changes in the market structure. So it makes investments of the, the market leaders obsolete by changing, for example, the, the technological architecture of a solution, thereby often also changes the market structure in a way that traditional market leaders uh, lose their position. And um, I did this study a while ago, and um, the, the idea behind was more and more people, more and more companies are speaking about disruptive technologies, disruptive innovation. And uh, for me, it was uh, I was interested in how they really deal with it, because we have this um, difference in academia. And um, my assumption was that this is um, not reflected in practice, that we have many concepts available in, in, in theory on how to deal with potentially disruptive technologies and innovations. And I wanted to find out if, if companies are really doing something on that topic. Do you think it comes from one individual, like an Elon Musk, right, who's at the top? and can make disruptive innovation happen. Or, you know, you can imagine a large company with a, a group of people who are really trying to make disruptive, but they've got a big organization around them. What can companies do? If you think about the big companies uh, where they may have pockets of people who, who have great ideas and, and could bring disruptive innovation forward, what should companies do to enable that? They maybe don't have a, a, a strong leader at the top who might be making it happen. I mean, first of all, it's much easier to come up with a disruption if you do not have, if you are not an established market leader, you don't do not have your investment in, in one area. And so it's much easier to, to set 
uh, everything on the card of uh, coming up with a new architecture, like here uh, with Tesla, the electric drivetrain. For big companies who who are already established in a market, this is a this is a real challenge because um, first of all. Nobody inside the organization or only few people inside the organization will support such a big change of investment, of architecture, of, I mean architecture, the, the architecture of the technology that is used. If you are an expert in combustion engines and if you have a set of engineers uh, on your payroll, then it will be difficult to, to completely shift into a, a different direction. And uh, the second point is the danger behind it uh, on because uh, many companies nowadays, they, they have the fear of potential disruptions because they know that their position might be endangered. I think this, this consists of, of many different things. And in the study, I differentiated here between um, the phases of finally technology monitoring. I looked at how companies are dealing in the identification, evaluation, and development, finally, of potentially disruptive technologies in comparison um, with the identification, evaluation, and development of other technologies. Finally, um, considering that a potentially disruptive technology is or can be the enabler for uh, disruptive innovation which is often the case. I mean, you have technological development. Um, if you take digital photography, uh, the sensor and the resolution of the sensor was a key enabler for finally enabling the disruptive innovation now of digital photography. Yeah, that's uh, great uh, advice and perspective for, for many of our listeners. Just, uh, Sven, if you were to give someone one piece of advice around innovation, what would it be? That depends very much um, on whom to advise. If you come <laughs> back to uh, disruptive innovation, I mean, I would say, please treat potential disruptions, potential disruptive innovations or potentially disruptive technologies in a different way than other innovations. For example, incremental developments. So you should search in other search fields you should take different evaluation criteria because uh, potential disruptions might fall through your network of evaluation criteria that you apply since years. And also, um, it might not be the wisest to take your existing R&D department and let them work on a potential disruption because if you have, let's say, a switch from combustion engines to an electric drivetrain, your previously existing developers Specialists in combustion engines might not be, be the best ones for developing an electric drivetrain. And these are challenges, but these are also, let's say, um, things that you look, look at finally. Overall, for innovation, it is difficult to advise, but I, I think uh, it is worth investing in innovation and also investing in riskier innovation activities uh, that really bring things forward and that, that are also able to change paradigms. And finally, there are many, many innovations that we are taking benefit of today that happened in the past. And the innovations that we are speaking about today might be the ones that we, we or our children will take benefit in the future. Where do you see innovation in, because I know you've looked out 10 years with the uh... With the, with the research you've been doing, but but maybe bring it 
even a little closer. In, in the next five to 10 years, uh, you mentioned a little bit earlier some of the things. Uh, if you were to kind of summarize where we might be in five years, maybe when we've all figured out how to enable uh, maker workspaces and, and kind of shift our thinking a little bit, where do you see it longer term going? I mean, the, the most most important development here uh, from my perspective, as in many other areas, uh, is uh, the digitalization of, um, first of all, the outcome of innovation. This is, I think, uh, clear. You, you speak here about um, the Internet of Things, so everything will be connected. But uh, more important from an innovation perspective is the the digitalization of the innovation process itself. So starting from support tools throughout the innovation process. We know some of them already today for simulation, for data management and so on. But I think that, that we, are, we are quite close to having machines develop incremental innovations. Like um, we have examples like the barbecue sauce from, from uh, the, the IBM Watson system, which is now already, I think this was in 2014 already, where they fed the system with information on users, with information on competing products, and finally came up with this, this um, AI-developed product. We have other examples like books being written by, by AI, and um, we are not far from having AI really taking over more of our development activities. But I would say rather incremental innovations because it's hard to, still hard to, we, we mentioned the term terminology of serendipity. Um, I see that as something still in the future carried out by humans and also uh, radical innovations with higher performance increases um, where you think about more in-depth changes um, in, in comparison with reference solutions if you speak about an innovation. Yeah, wow. Great summary. Thanks for sharing that with us. Well, I want to thank you for uh, joining us today. You're, you're doing some really great work. And if people want to connect with you or find out more information, wh where could they go? The easiest access point, because at Fraunhofer, I'm representing overall six institutes and almost 1,500 people working in innovation research. So this, this is the, the website of um, the Fraunhofer Group for Innovation Research, where you find uh, first my contact information, but um, also links to publications from, from all the people working here in the institutes of the Group for Innovation Research. This is, I would say, a great access point. Otherwise, I mean, um, from Fordham University, we have um, the U Institute for Human Engineering and Empathic Design, also through the website where we bring together designers with engineers and um, business administrators uh, to come up, let's say, with also the more radical, um, more inspirational points of innovation here. Great. Well, well, we'll put a few links in our show notes for that so people can, can find that information. And it was a real pleasure speaking with you. I enjoyed it. You have a really interesting set of research that you're working on. And I look forward to, uh, to meeting you when, uh, when we're able to travel and get out again and, and see each other again and, and uh, meet at a conference or, or some event uh, again. So... If I'm allowed to, to add up one thing, oh, please. I mean, I, yeah. yes, 
Uh, we, we also, let's say, we, we also have some people working in the U.S. for Fraunhofer and uh, for example, we are we are trying to strengthen this because uh, from from our perspective, Fraunhofer being um, a research organization for applied research, uh, it might be beneficial to create a closer link here with some um, industrial partners. For example, we have in South Carolina the Fraunhofer South Carolina Initiative. So to to access or to get in contact with Fraunhofer here for collaboration, the U.S. website of Fraunhofer is also a very good access point. Ah, good, good, good. Yeah, we have. Thanks for bringing that up. Yeah, good. Any last minute uh, things you'd like to to share before we we sign off? Um, finally, I I hope that all of you are investing in innovation and uh, I hope that we will be able to to creating a, a better world for the future based on innovation and innovation activities. Thank you very As much. As do I. <laughs> yeah, thanks, man. Okay, uh, you have a wonderful day and thanks for joining us. Thanks for joining us this week for Innovation Talks with Paul Heller. For additional information on today's topic, check out sophion.com, S-O-P-H-E-O-N.com, where you will find plenty of innovation-centric content and corporate best practices. If you'd like to discuss anything with Paul or would like to get in touch with the show, email us at talks at sophion.com.